global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we pray to you now to ask for your blessing, that you would open truth unto our minds in your word. As we study the scriptures and particularly the prophecies, we ask for that blessing that Revelation 1 says that we will receive when we read and hear and understand the words of the prophecies. So right now as we seek truth, we pray that you would guide our lives, help us make decisions for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host again for another in the series of Prophecy Sessions. Today we are once again studying this harlot of Babylon, as last time we did on the broadcast. You find this woman, this impure woman, in Revelation 17, and she's spoken of also in 18 and in 14. The second angel's message of Revelation 14 says, Fallen is Babylon. So who is this woman? What does she represent in the Bible that there would be a message that goes to all the earth in Revelation 14, just prior to Christ's second coming, a message that says that this Babylon is fallen. This is not the literal ancient Babylon, of course, because that took place long, long before the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation uses symbolic language. A woman in Bible prophecy represents a church, And you've got the pure church of Revelation 12. She is clothed and she is not wearing all the the gold and pearls and precious stones and and scarlet colored clothing. You've got a woman clothed with light, clothed as a pure woman, light representing truth. Revelation 12 verse 1. She's got 12 stars on her crown. So this is the true church of God throughout the ages, the bride of Christ. The false woman, the harlot, would be the great counterfeit church. And we see that she's riding the Antichrist beast of Revelation 13. And we know who that beast is, who that animal or that kingdom or that power is. That nation is none other than Vatican City or the Roman papacy. We've studied that in previous broadcasts. Visit BibleProphecyTruth.com to study more deeply into that. But we know that power to be the full, only fulfillment of all of the prophecies of Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 and 2 Thessalonians 2. Not trying to name call or, or put anybody down or say somebody's not saved or not calling anybody a harlot. It's, this is a symbolic term for a false or deceived or deceiving church. Babel meaning confusion. She's got the wine in her hand with this cup that she's feeding to all the nations and everybody's confused. And also she has harlot daughters in Revelation 17, verse 5. She is the mother of harlots. So this is a mother church that is seated upon the seat of the Vatican in Rome as the religious power that has confused the whole world about Bible truth. Again, this is not a criticism of anybody who is a part of that institution, whether you're born in it, whatever, 
there are many sincere people. And it says, come out of her, my people in Revelation 18. So God has people. He has heaven bound and saved people in these institutions who once they receive the light that this, that this institution is Babylon and that the Antichrist is among us already, they're going to run in the opposite direction. They're going to come out of her, my people, says the Lord. Now we ended the broadcast last time identifying one of the two main deceptions or confusions that the whole world and virtually all the Christian world, Protestants and Catholic alike, have, have retained as a part of their doctrinal understandings. Misunderstandings in this case, because it was the doctrine of the immortal soul. The idea that you are naturally immortal is not biblical. And we've gone over that many times. Why don't you visit the website? Here's a recommendation so that we don't spend the whole time reviewing that. Review this topic. It is essential, hugely important, because it is a foundational deception in the last days. And the website is truthaboutdeath.com. If you visit truthaboutdeath.com, you can get caught up on this Greek pagan idea that slipped into the church in early Christianity and still predominates the minds of most Christians today. The idea that we are immortal, which the devil said in the Garden of Eden, you will not surely die. That is a lie. We are mortal. We need to put on immortality at the resurrection and we need to seek immortality, it says in Romans 2. But there's another great deception that this entity brings about. And before I share the second great confusion that virtually all the Christian world is confused about, I want to show you something amazing from Revelation. Now, remember this woman in Revelation 17, this church is is symbolized as wearing purple and scarlet. Notice these colors, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold. And so those are three colors that she's got on her, purple and scarlet clothes and gold for the, for the jewels, the jewelry. There's another clothing described, set of clothing, another outfit, if you will, described also in the Bible. And it's important to remember that the Old Testament is constantly alluded to in the book of Revelation. John's readers would have been familiar with the Old Testament. John, in Revelation, is over and over and over again, literally hundreds of times, alluding to Old Testament texts. So when he pictures this woman as wearing purple and scarlet and gold, the reader is thinking of another outfit that sounds kind of familiar. But before I tell you that outfit in the Old Testament, are you familiar with the color of the stone that God stood upon on the mountain when he handed Moses the Ten Commandments? It says in Exodus 24, verse 10, And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, blue. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So blue as the blue sky. And so this is the stone that God was standing upon, and then God gives Moses Ten Commandments written on stone. Were the Ten Commandments actually blue? Well, you read in... The, uh, the book of Numbers, chapter, chapter 15, God gives the priests some instructions. And he says, I want you to have the priests have tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, but not just any tassels. It says, and to put a blue thread 
in the tassels of the corners of the garments. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them. Now, that's an amazing statement. Blue will remind you of the commandments. I wonder why that is. Well, blue symbolizes God's law here in the Old Testament. Then it says that you may remember all these commandments and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So when the, the woman Babylon is described in Revelation 17 and she's called a harlot, the listener to this goes, oh yeah, I remember that word harlotry. It comes from November, or Numbers 15. And in Numbers 15, it says, blue represents God's commandments so that you will not be a harlot who neglects God's commandments. Then once again in Exodus, we read something amazing. This is the outfit of the priest, the garments of the priesthood. You read the following in Exodus 28. You shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue. There it is again, because they are to remember the commandments of God. There shall be an opening for his head, and he goes on and, and, and how it wouldn't tear. And then in verse 33, it tells the colors. It says, and upon its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and bells of gold. Huh. Those colors sound familiar. Purple, scarlet, gold, and of course, lots of blue. Purple, scarlet, gold, and blue were the colors of the priest, blue being the most important, representing God's commandments. Remember the woman in Revelation 17, the false church. The woman was arrayed in this is Revelation 17, verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold. But notice what's missing. There's no blue. This is an institution, an entity, a ecclesiastical power, a church, if you will, that is unfaithful to God because they have neglected the commandments of God. That's astounding. Now, when you read actual statements in modern times, like this one from the book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism. It says, it was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. Now, he's telling the truth. It was the church. And many people are sincere about, you know, keeping Sunday because of the resurrection. It's not based upon the Bible. And so they are sincere, yet they are confused. They're sincere in their motivation. You'd never impugn or judge somebody's motive or intent to honor God, but, but they are deceived. It was the church, not the Bible, that changed the day. Cardinal Gibbons wrote, Reason and sense demand that acceptance of one or the other of these two alternatives. Reason and sense demand the acceptance of one or the other of these two alternatives. You ready for it? This is just like Revelation 14 lays it out. Seal of God or mark of the beast. Clear line. It's the Elijah message. He says, Either Protestantism and the keeping holy of Saturday... Or Catholicism and the keeping holy of Sunday. Compromise is impossible. He's saying, in other words, if you're keeping Sunday, that would make you on the Catholic side of this divide. If you're Protestant, you ought to keep Saturday because that's the biblical day. And so if you're not keeping Saturday, you're not a true Protestant. I like the way he put it, Reverend O'Brien put it in Faith of Millions. He says, but since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? 
Yes, of course, it is inconsistent. But the change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born, and they have continued to observe the custom, even though it rests upon the authority of the church and not upon the ex- an explicit text in the Bible. And that observance remains the reminder of the mother church from which all non-Catholic sects broke away, like a boy running from his mother, but still carrying his in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair. It's amazing what these folks are saying. They're saying, look, you Protestants, realize you, you've broken away from the mother church, but you've retained our teachings And so you're really recognizing us as your authority. Here's from also from Reverend O'Brien. When the priest announces the tremendous words of consecration in the mass, in the service, he reaches up into the heavens and brings Christ down from his throne and places him upon our altar to be offered up again as the victim for the sins of man. It is a power greater than that of saints and angels, greater than that of seraphim and cherubim. The priest brings Christ down from heaven and renders him present on the altar as the eternal victim for the sins of man. Not once, but a thousand times. The priest speaks and lo, Christ, the eternal and omnipotent God, bows his head in humble obedience to the priest's command. The only word I can think of, blasphemy. Babylon, Antichrist, God forbid that we would believe this. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. There has been a full-on frontal assault on the human mind in our society. College professors are famously aghast at the lack of reading and writing skills in their students. Couple that with a recent study, it was found that only 31% of college-educated Americans can fully comprehend a newspaper story. Literally 30% of Americans cannot find the Pacific Ocean on a blank map, and a full 26% of our society believes that the sun revolves around the earth. It's time to wake up. To come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. The DVD series is called Schooled, the deliberate agenda to reduce individuality, destroy intelligence, and re-engineer society. In Schooled, you'll hear it straight from the mouths of the founders of modern schooling themselves. They're quite proud of it. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. And we're back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch, and that stuff before the break was pretty intense. We read an unbelievable quotation from a Roman Catholic ecclesiastical authority uh, person, and basically it said that they have the power over God, and Christ bows his head in obedience to the priest. And we look at that, and we're going, now I understand why Revelation 18 says, come out of Babylon, my people. And yes, God's people are still in these institutions, and not just the Roman Catholic faith with these blasphemous claims, but all of the so 
called Christian denominations, Protestant denominations, that retain the deceptions of Rome, Sunday sacredness, the immortality of the soul. And so God invites us, invites us to come out of Babylon into something, into something wonderful. In Revelation 14, it says, then I looked and behold a lamb. See, this is about Jesus Christ. This is not about uh, somebody's church. The lamb standing on Mount Zion with him, 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters and like the voice of the loud thunder. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the lamb and before the elders, and only the 144,000 could sing it. It goes on in verse 4 to say, these are the ones who were not defiled with women. Not defiled with women. What do women represent? What does a woman represent in Bible prophecy? A church. And women, plural here, meaning not just the mother church, but her daughters. In Revelation 17, verse 5, it says she is the mother of harlots. So to be in the 144,000, to be among the redeemed when Jesus Christ comes again on the clouds of heaven, is to be somebody who has been pure in their religious affiliations in believing and following the truth, has come out of Babylon and is not defiling themselves with the churches that are teaching false doctrine. In fact, it goes on and it says that there is no deceit and no guile in their mouths. These folks are preaching truth and believing truth, and they have come out of Babylon into the truth. Now, that's really exciting. And that takes a major sacrifice, of course, to say I'm not going to be feeding upon the cup of abominations of deception and confusion that the mother church and her harlot daughters are feeding. I'm going to feed from the Lamb of God and the, the, the bread of life that Jesus offers me in the Word of God. I'm going to come out of those systems into the truth, into the word of God, that I might walk with Jesus Christ and follow only his voice, not the voice of the lamb, not the voice of the beast, not the voice of the dragon, not the voice of the mother harlot or any of her daughters. This is a strong teaching in Revelation, but it confronts us all with this important truth. Now, there's something else to discuss as it relates to being defiled. Have you ever read about Exodus 15, which says, that God's people would not receive the diseases of the Egyptians if they follow God's truth and his commandments. The Egyptians actually are known through the, uh, the, the, the research that's been done archaeologically on the mummified and skeletal remains that they actually suffered greatly from diseases. And so since we are the 144,000, not literal number, this is 12,000, 12, 12 is a completeness of God's people, but since we're in that group who are going to be redeemed from the earth and taken up into heaven when Jesus comes again, we should really, really, really emphasize this teaching in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, that says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Did you know that there's a way that you can eat and drink that is going to dishonor God? And there's a way that you can eat and drink that will glorify God. We talked in a previous broadcast about the frontal lobe of the brain and how Satan is trying to disrupt our frontal lobes and our brain functioning so that we will be conformed to this world instead of having transformed and renewed minds, which Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 promises us. God wants to give us the seal of God in our foreheads, in our minds, in our frontal lobes. But there is alcohol and nicotine and caffeine and all sorts of addictive drugs that are disrupting frontal lobe function but also our diet. 
can defile not just our bodies, but harm also our brains because the body and the brain are linked. God says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and then you will have a transformed and renewed mind. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. So this is an important thing about diet. If you go all the way back in Genesis, God's original diet for his people in Genesis 1 verse 29 and in 3 verse 18, God's original plan for us was that we would subsist solely upon the produce of the earth, eating plants only. You know, Adam was tasked with naming the animals in the Garden of Eden, not killing them and eating them. In fact, Isaiah 11 says that in the, in the future new earth, the lion will lie down with a lamb. So uh, this whole idea of predatorial relationships and people eating animals and animals eating, eating each other, death is not going to exist. It says in Revelation 21, there will be no more death. It'll be Eden restored. No carcasses, no dead animals, no dead people. That's Satan's idea of a good time. So we're going to go back to that Eden diet, that Garden of Eden diet. Have you ever heard of Methuselah? You know, he lived 969 years on this diet. And you're wondering, wait a minute, all, all these patriarchs before the flood ate only plants and not animals? They, didn't, they, 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 they did not eat meat? Well, indeed, that was the case for, oh, 1,600 years or so. Meat-eating finally came in in Genesis 9, verse 3. God says to Noah, I want you to go ahead and eat meat. And why did God command Noah to go ahead and eat meat? Well, the flood had just taken place. And the earth is devastated. So how are those fruit trees looking at this point? And farming tracks on the ground. Uh, there's nothing to eat. So this must have been really, really, really hard for Noah to hear. Because he had never eaten the flesh of animals before. 1,600 years, God's people had only eaten plants. It's only in Genesis 9, verse 3, 1,600 years into Earth's history, that God appoints meat eating as a part of the diet. And it's a temporary thing because we know we're going to go back to plants only in the Garden of Eden where there's no more death. But Noah must have been really weirded out by this. He had never eaten anything like it. And God's saying... Look, the vegetation is completely destroyed. Noah, please feed your family the animals on the ark. As, as you come off, be eating these animals so that you guys don't die. Now, that's a crazy thought. By the way, is he supposed to eat any and all animals? No, of course not. In Genesis 7 verse 2, God makes a distinction between clean animals and unclean animals. Noah took the animals two by two onto the ark, yes, but that was only the unclean animals. He took the clean animals onto the ark by sevens. Now, if you're thinking about Noah's experience of now consuming clean animals as kind of a, kind of a crazy thing for him, well, there's another guy who went through a, a pretty dramatic experience, and his name was Daniel. Daniel was accustomed to eating clean meats, as God's people tended to do throughout the remainder of the, the Bible times. But Daniel was in the court of the king, and the king was about to feed him wine and all sorts of unclean and defiled foods. And Daniel said, oh, I can't eat that stuff. This is Daniel 1, which, by the way, the book of Daniel is written predominantly and most importantly for those upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That is us. It includes the latest time prophecy in Earth's history, pointing to the year 1844 in Daniel 8.14. So this, this book is important for us, and it starts out with Daniel requesting to eat only a Adam and Eve diet. 
a plant-based diet. He says, can I eat just pulse and water? Pulse is uh, basically just anything that was sown is the Hebrew there. And he plants. And they allow him to do it. And they say, well, we'll test you out for 10 days just as you asked and see how you look and, and how you function and you and, and your three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they, they're given that case study, if you will. And they eat only pulse, only only plants, plant-based foods, and they eat, drink only water for 10 days. And you know what? After the 10 days, as crazy as this was for them to say, well, if you're going to serve us unclean meat, then we'll go ahead and make sure we eat no meat, if, if you will permit. And they permitted it. After 10 days, they looked healthier. They were the most intelligent and wise in all of the king's court. And so they were permitted to continue to eat that diet. And we're coming upon a time where everybody's going to be eating that diet. I'm pretty excited about the idea of no more death. Now, that's really, really hard when we look at that and we're like, man, I'm so used to eating just about anything. Well, if you're going to go strictly from the clean and unclean distinction, it's probably going to cause you also to give up some things that you're normally used to eating. I grew up eating my share of pork. Ham on buns. It was a religious ritual in the church I grew up in. Family gatherings with the, the, with the, the pork roast. And, and it, it was a regular part of, you know, ham sandwiches with the deli meat, etc. Bacon in the morning, sausage, etc. And now I'm looking at that going, okay, I see now why the World Health Organization has said that these meats are a carcinogen, cancer-causing. 100% confirmed, right in the same category as cigarettes. So next time you have ham on buns after church, consider that in the same category as dishing out cigarettes to folks after church. I know that's weird and crazy sounding. It's supposed to be because this is cancer-causing. But not just that. It's unbiblical. Straight through in the book of Leviticus 11, book of Leviticus chapter 11, in verse 3 and following, you read about which meats are clean and which meats are unclean. It says, don't eat camels. Don't eat rabbits. Don't eat unclean meats. Pigs are in that same category. It says, go ahead and eat fish with fins and scales. But don't be eating bottom feeders. Your, your crab, your lobster, your shrimp. It's absolutely disgusting what these animals are consuming. Pigs are scavengers. They'll eat anything that they can swallow. There was a lady in Arizona just a little while back. She had what doctors told her was a brain tumor. A brain tumor. But then in surgery, they discovered that she actually had a worm that had gotten into her brain through pork she had eaten. So we've got this mindset of, oh, you know, you cook it enough and it's safe. God said, hands off. Don't touch it. It's bad for you. Now, that's an important message because if we are in the last days of Earth's history and we are in the time that Daniel refers to as the heavenly sanctuary cleansing, then we want our bodies and our minds to be cleansed. We are the temple of God, the temple of the living God. And God says if you destroy your temple, then you're going to be destroyed. If you defile your temple, you're going to be destroyed. Those whose belly is their stomach, are, their destiny is destruction, Paul says in Philippians 3. But everybody's probably thinking right now of Peter's vision. God told Peter to get up, kill, and eat all the unclean animals on the sheet that was coming down from heaven. And Peter said, no, I've never done such a thing. Because even in the New Testament times, they did not eat unclean meat. Well, God wasn't telling him literally to eat this. This is a symbol. This is symbolism. It's a vision. And Peter 
and discussing this vision afterwards, says, God has shown me not to call any man impure or unclean. You see, Peter was not associating with Gentiles. He was viewing them as unclean, and God corrected that with this vision. Nowhere did God say, go ahead and start eating pork. It's good for you. No, it's really not. That didn't change at the cross. Many ceremonial laws did change at the cross, but human physiology did not change at the cross. So let's pursue health with joy and Jesus Christ. See you next time. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. We say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is from the book of James. But there is a sentence that comes before that, that is a modifier. It's a prerequisite for having the power to resist the devil and him flee from us. And a statement goes, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So when we are living in submission to God, we can claim the promise that we will be protected from all of this demonic garbage that's happening in this fallen world that we are in. So what do you have in your area of media and entertainment that needs to be rethought. I went through a thorough sifting and sorting a couple years ago when the Lord brought some of this knowledge to my attention. Had to ask myself some tough questions about what I was allowing into my life. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.